Welcome to NJASA's Frontline Leadership for Extraordinary Times podcast series. Our guest today is certainly no stranger to NJASA members. We're very happy to have Dr. Michael Salvatore, Superintendent and Chief Education Officer of the Long Branch Public Schools, and by the way, NJASA's 2019 Superintendent of the Year. Michael, thanks for joining us today in our ninth Frontline Leadership for Extraordinary Times podcast. Before we begin, how are you and the whole Salvatore family doing? Uh, I'm pretty good. My family's uh, pretty good. Thanks for having me here, Rich. Uh, I think uh, physically they're pretty healthy. I think mentally they're just waiting like every one of us, waiting to engage and embrace people and just kind of resume some normal activities. But overall, the health is good, so we're, we're very thankful. Glad to hear that. Uh, you know, you talk about health. One of the things that I meant to ask you is you've developed a very interesting relationship with uh, Mammoth Medical Center. Very unusual and I think very effective. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and also how it may be helping you with your work today? Sure. Uh, so the relationship goes beyond just uh, an organization in our community. Uh, they are in our community, in our city here, and they're the largest employer. So we, we, we share a lot of similarities because our families work there. Uh, and we also have a lot of partnerships with our students in terms of uh, quasi-internships and apprenticeships and, and visits to the hospital. But uh, right now, they've been pretty instrumental. We, we meet weekly, uh, of course, virtually, to just provide some updates in terms of uh, what the hospital is seeing, uh, what advice can be shared with our community, our school community overall. Uh, and it's been helpful. I mean, we're, we're directly connected to the CEO and the top officials there. So... We, um, we appreciate the relationship. Uh, it, it actually has been reciprocal too. I mean, when they needed uh, some PPE, we were very quick to jump into our science labs and get them some goggles and anything else they needed. So it's a true partnership over here. What a fantastic opportunity. You're taking great advantage of it. Let's switch, switch topics a little bit. Uh, you've been quoted as saying, access is the great equalizer. And by affording children access to modern technology and high quality content, School leaders can create learning experiences and opportunities far beyond school walls. Well, now we're here. Did you ever think we'd be facing the challenge of educating far beyond the traditional school walls so soon? Well, Rich, I, I don't know where you dug that quote up because that, that quote is so old, I actually had hair when I said it. Uh, <laughs> and, but it's, it's timeless uh, because uh, I, did I think it was going to be so quick? No, I, I really didn't. But being thrusted into this environment, I think it just sheds a spotlight on things that are so important right now and, and making sure people are prepared. Um, but it's, it's kind of, uh, it's analogous to this turtle race, I believe, where, uh, you, you know, we, we've talked, I was talking about that quote is really 10 years old. And we we're talking about this, this integration of technology and learning outside of the school. And it's amazing how just in, in a few months, uh, we have progressed uh, probably more than we have in 10 years in terms of the tech integration in a virtual environment. So I guess it is a timeless quote and, uh, and we'll see where it goes next. Well, we'll find out if we can use it again in the future. We'll, we'll hang on to that one for you, Michael. But we'll have to put a picture, I guess, of when you had hair. Yeah, I have it. I have one of those. <laughs> okay. You know, I've always respected you as being forward thinking and uh, looking, looking out into the future with regard to instructional leadership. And I know in Long Branch that you spearheaded a massive technology reorganization in your district. So tell, tell us about how that updated technology infrastructure and the enhancements that uh, you put in place are working in this new norm of distance learning. 
Sure. Well, our, our infrastructure, it, I mean, it's solid here, but I, it's fluid. It, it changes. I mean, some of the expectations from a year ago in terms of broadband and capacity have completely changed. And, and we've, I've got this team of like technical wizards who live in the cloud. Uh, and, and this is for real. I'll, I'll wake up in the morning sometimes, check my text messages, and I'll see at 2 a.m. The, uh, the network went down. And by 3.15, it was back up without me even knowing about it. So we, we, we just have a great team. And I think a lot of schools now have built capacity in terms of a technical team that's able to handle all of these upgrades. So uh, whether it be uh, an interruption with fiber or uh, a quick blip in the network, uh, we, we have a team working on that. And it's been, it's been critical for us to have experts in that field. Our first group of technicians were people who played around with things, who tinkered and plugged things in. Now, they're very sophisticated, and I, uh, everything we've done here, we, we couldn't have, have done it without them. But I think uh, equally as important to the team are some of the initiatives that we took on and embraced over the years that have really helped prepare us for this. Uh, so the infrastructure is one, but identifying the right devices and the rollout and how to utilize those devices in a setting is another topic. And uh, we, we really wouldn't be where we were today without two kind of big uh, initiatives. And, and one of them is connected to the National Alliance for Excellent Education, which is, it runs the Future Ready Schools Initiative uh, and that network. And, and without that network and that initiative, we really wouldn't be where we were today. I, I mean, thankfully, uh, we've got plenty of devices that are distributed in a one-to-one -one capacity for grades three to 12, but they're just devices. Uh, learning how to make sure they're utilized in the classroom, uh, that was really a result of our Future Ready Schools initiative. And then personalizing our professional development uh, for our teachers in a virtual um, capacity. So we've created these, uh, these digital summits that we were doing so that teachers and principals and even custodians were learning remotely. And this is before, um, this is before COVID. So, uh, and it was all a result of those organizations and that network and, and their, um, their framework, which I'm just truly thankful for. I, I don't think we would be where we are today without having that, uh, that future ready initiative underway. Fantastic. So uh, great people and a, and, a, and a real focus on what needs to be done and looking towards the future. You know, I have to share with our listeners and our, and our audience that, uh, as you know, I began my educational career in Long Branch many years ago. So I understand that it's a very diverse community. And so if anybody drives along uh, the ocean, they, they see all the incredible construction and houses that are going on, but you also have population that isn't so wealthy and is in need and, and obviously free uh, lunch and, and breakfast programs, those kinds of things. So one of the things that I'm finding in talking with people around the state and communities that are diverse such as yours, that there's a problem with access. Um, and you have all of these great resources that you talked about, but not all of the families can take advantage of them because of either Wi-Fi hotspots not being available or not having cable access, those kinds of things. Tell me, uh, what did you find in Long Branch as you went uh, into this new digital world with, with remote teaching and any advice that you see for communities like yours in terms of helping them to get access? Sure. Uh, and I think the most important uh, thing there is that there, it's not a new issue we have, right? This digital divide, this homework gap, it's a conversation that's been occurring for for decades, but now there is a spotlight on it. And thankfully too, because 
uh, we're learning now that resources, especially financial resources, are being put to kind of to interrupt it or disrupt the digital divide and maybe provide equal access. I mean, the inequities in this uh, process are, are so great that to overcome them, we need a whole team working on this. Uh, I recently saw that in the HEROES Act, and we're, I'm not sure where that's going to go federally because it's an insane amount of money. It's like $3 trillion proposed. But in that act, it's the first time I saw the federal government put money. They put $5 billion to, for the, uh, the digital divide and providing access. It's the first time our federal government has really looked at saying, hey, we've got to, we've got to dedicate funds in this area to make sure everybody has access. Uh, and it's critical. In our community, we did identify that more than a third of our families uh, did not have connectivity in the home. And I would say even more so when you, you account for uh, mobile uh, wireless. Uh, so uh, if we took mobile wireless and cell phones out, we probably have more than a half of our families weren't connected at home. And, and to me, it's, it, it is uh, a major issue we have. Uh, we've been attempting to try to uh, combat that for over a decade when Race to the Top grant came out. Uh, race to the top, section D, we had a full team dedicated to trying to put a geofence over our entire city, similar to what a college campus would do. But when that, those funds didn't go to New Jersey, we kind of scrapped that. It's not an idea we put to the side completely, though, because we realized that if a college campus can do it, that's miles wide, we certainly can do it in cities. New York City has done it, and they've really done it. Um, it's advertised to help low-income families provide access. But I, I mean, I think it's really about tourism and convenience too. Uh, so I, I think a city like ours or many communities can begin to invest in a potentially a geofence over the community to provide free wireless access for all because it, the technology's there. We just have to get, um, we have to get the right people talking and the right resources to make it happen. You know, Michael, you're absolutely right about the conversation now being widespread. We've heard about it in the past, but now it seems as though people are moved to action. I'm hearing it at the county levels. I'm hearing it on the Senate uh, Education Recovery Task Force that I sit on, and we're hearing it in the national dialogue as well. So hopefully we'll move forward because there are so many opportunities that have come out of this, not just the problems and frustrations, but the opportunities of using distance learning to really enrich the curriculum as we go forward. So we have many challenges, I think, going there. But let me turn to another question, Mike. Uh, we've got schools closed now, as we know, for the remainder of the year. and. Uh, we're most likely going to be con conducting our extended school year in the summertime virtually because we won't get the go ahead to uh, bring people together. So uh, we're even questioning, I certainly am, whether we're going to be able to open in September given all that's going on and the needs uh, that we have to be sure that we would be safe and all of the children as well as the adults would be. So we're finding uh, emotional and mental health becoming a critical issue. How are you dealing with that in Long Branch? Well, I think it's not just becoming it. I think there's been uh, the light shed on the fact that mental health has been a rising issue, right? Pre-COVID and, and certainly post-COVID. So I, I'm just really thankful that we've started along this journey of social emotional learning before COVID because we were able to make sure people were trained, had resources, uh, understood the impact of trauma on education and how to provide or how to mitigate that. Uh, so uh, I believe that if we don't consider wellness, we're doing a disservice uh, to any plan that we create. And, and if I've talked to my colleagues throughout the country, we're all doing the same stuff. We all are planning 
three different scenarios, a full return, a partial return, a full remote. Uh, and so we're all though talking about wellness and how critical it is to come in and not just screen and assess, but also to uh, guide people through their thoughts, uh, through their experience, uh, which we don't know what experience they had to uh, just a fear of their family contracting this virus. Or even um, something we have to deal with all the time is uh, homes that are not so nurturing, the, uh, actually where there's abuse, uh, whether it be physical or sexual, sexual in nature. So we know we're going to have to deal with those things when we come back. So we want to make sure we have the right staff, uh, the right mindset, and also the right resources for when children return. But I, I also think a great resource that uh, we all can use is Castle's coming out with a reopening schools framework that I think they've been great in terms of their competencies and their resources that they list. They've been a leader in social emotional learning. So I, we're, we're looking forward to the release of that, which should be any day. So we're going to use that uh, as um, to guide us in our reopening for health and wellness. You know, Mike, you appropriately gave us that context. You're right. This is not just an issue today. It's always been an issue in school uh, personnel have had to deal with that. And now, as you say, remotely, it's uh, we can't get our people to the students or to their families with assistance. So that challenge remains. I'm, I agree. I think Cassell has uh, got has great resources there. been providing some information along the way to uh, people throughout the nation. So looking forward to that. Let me let me turn on a topic kind of related to that. Everybody's talking about this because it seems the, the news is changing every day uh, from the governor's announcement, and that is the end of the year activities and particularly graduations. How are you dealing with that issue in Long Branch? Uh, graduation, as you know, is a hot topic right now. Um, it's certainly every year, there's like the every emotion is peaked at graduation time because it's just the, the culminating event that everybody looks forward to. So there's been a, a bit of a stir about this everywhere. I've actually been uh, enjoying reading some of the commentary back and forth from my colleagues and um, and from the governor's office. So uh, it, I've been taking it with a grain of salt, but we've been, again, planning multiple scenarios here. So we are, without a doubt, we are going to plan a full remote formal ceremony, and then we're going to complement that with something physical. So we the uh, the remote ceremony allows access, which we always have aired hours. Just so like we've we've done Facebook Live for our graduations every year for the past few years, and we've connected to families in different countries throughout the throughout the world. So uh, you know we're we're going to have that remote process. The physical piece uh, we are working on. We we have a plan right now to have this micro one minute personalized graduation for each of our 380 graduates that takes place over four days. I mean, it is insane. It's everything from a, a line of dropping off your supplies to picking up your cap and gown uh, to then uh, going to a stage by yourself. Your parents get out, your family get out, they take the pictures, your name gets announced in front of the high school. I mean, it's, it's a bizarre, but it certainly provides the children with an opportunity to have some, some attention during this time because for our seniors, we all feel for them. We, we know that they've kind of been ripped off a little bit from this experience. Uh, they, they're missing out on an opportunity that most of us have had and uh, cherished. So uh, we're, we're doing that. If the plan changes, right? So uh, we, we're going to keep those, those things in place because we actually just don't have the time to change them right now. We keep them in place. If there is an additional flexibility that occurs, we will consider that. And if that means potentially having some type of physical graduation with limited 
guest, we will do that too. I mean, Ritza, you got to take into consideration the fact that I am my high school's two blocks from the ocean, right? And uh, this weekend, uh, we expect that the sun is shining, we're going to have probably 100,000 people on the beach in Long Branch. Uh, and the lifeguards are, are monitoring the social distancing. So I, I think that if there was an opportunity to have something physical, we certainly could handle that. Well, you know, you're expressing, I think, some of the frustrations that everybody I talk to in your position, and by the way, it's not just graduations, as you well know, it's everything uh, below that. You know, your proms, your, your eighth grade promotion ceremonies, and uh, all of the award programs, all of the things that you say that uh, our students are missing out in terms of traditions of celebration at the end of the year. So uh, very, very difficult. And I think one of the things that uh, I think our, our governor and our Department of Education hear and understand but maybe don't appreciate sufficiently is you need time to get this decision in order to do the planning to make the events happen. And I think now that we're near the end of the year, that uh, information for next school year whatever that may be is necessary. And that leads me to a topic of finances. I've been saying that it's not realistic given the fact that the latest message is that uh, the revenues will be at least $10 billion short to the state this year, that we can expect the February state aid figures will be valid by the time we get into July, August, and September. Are you planning for anything different or uh, what have you done with regard to that kind of uh, decision-making? I don't know if you noticed, I took a deep breath when you said that, because that, this, is the, this is the one topic uh, that has been keeping me up at night. The, the idea of creating plans uh, for remote entrance and, and partial capacity is one thing, but not having the financial resources to be able to carry out and preserve the quality of our programs is something I, I worry about, uh, I, because the reality is, uh, the whispers out in our community of education uh, is 10 to 20% reduction in state aid. And, and I understand why. There's a million people in New Jersey right now unemployed. So I, I understand that. And then the issues with uh, local taxes and whether people can pay, I completely understand it. But I do worry about it, and I'm trying to plan and be proactive in our planning. So we are looking at all of our vacancies through attrition right now and what is mandatory and what's not mandatory to bring back, uh, whether it be admin all the way to teaching, to custodial, secretary, we're looking at all of them. We did have, a, we, we approved a great budget a couple weeks ago and I'm just, I'm sad to say that probably won't be realized. Uh, it was a great budget that this year, you know, we, we felt like we were going to be on top for our kids and provide resources and services. And I, I just don't know if that's a reality. So uh, not only are we looking through attrition to possibly not fill, we're, we're taking a really deep dive into our budget that we did approve each line item, uh, starting with projects that we had earmarked, whether it be a parking lot repaving, a tech upgrade for infrastructure. Uh, we, we are looking at, and certainly looking at our reserve accounts for maintenance, for tuition, uh, for capital projects and any dollars there, we're hoping we get some flexibility so that we can move that to preserve whatever quality we have right now. Because uh, for us, uh, I mean, a 10% reduction is almost $6 million. Uh, and that's, that's people. You know, all of our money in, in education, most of it is wrapped up in people, 85 to 90% of it. So we realize a 10% reduction in finances does mean an impact upon the people, not just the students we serve, but the people who are part of our school family here. So we are concerned. We are looking at it. I don't have a full answer 
right now. But I, I think that if we take into account the things I just mentioned, our reserve accounts, uh, emptying them out. I mean, this is like, uh, I, I actually think it's analogous to the, um, the movie, right? It's a Wonderful Life where everybody has to, you have to empty all your accounts out at the bank so that everybody survives this. I think that's what we're going to have to do. Empty out everything we can to keep our people employed and then and see where this goes in the future. Yeah, you're echoing all of those concerns that uh, our colleagues have out there as they look forward and looking for some solid ground to put their feet down on in terms of planning. And of course, there's uh, whatever kind of opening occurs, uh, there's going to be additional costs with regard to protective gear, as you mentioned earlier, with regard to sanitizing, potentially uh, increased busing costs all of the time when the resources are so needed, the demands are getting greater. Mike, it's always been a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate every opportunity I get. I want to thank you for taking time to share your opinions and insight with our members. Uh, any last thoughts before we close off today? Uh, just because this is NJASA and it's a Superintendents Association, uh, to my colleagues, just keep leading because I am stealing your story. I'm stealing your information. And I, I think we all are sharing and coming together as a unit. So keep putting your information out there because we're all learning from each other. Um, and this is just not just New Jersey. Uh, our colleagues throughout the country have been doing an extraordinary job. So uh, to all of them, thank you. Thank you very much. Michael, thank you again. And to our listeners, remember that we will be distributing one video podcast interview per week. So please monitor your email, visit njasa.net, and subscribe to our NJASA podcast. Until then, I'm Rich Baza. Please be safe, stay well, and healthy. 